0: God has a way of getting us where he wants us to be. Sometimes the path is not always clear. The road is not straight. It is not smooth. But yet he sets us on a course and says this is your goal. This is your destination. This is where I'm I'm placed you on a path and this is where you're going and it's not always a pleasant journey. Have you experienced that in life? I wish it wasn't that way. I wish once we knew where God was leading us that he would just miraculously or maybe even supernaturally pick us up and put us there. But if you live long enough, you learn that that's not always the way God does things. For instance, Moses was sent back to Egypt to liberate the Hebrews. A nation of slaves were being set free. They were headed to the promised land. And you know if you've looked at a map, relatively speaking, it wasn't very far from Egypt to Canaan. Yet we know that when God led them through the Red Sea into the Sinai wilderness, the peninsula there that just separated Egypt from Canaan, they wandered around for about 40 years, right? And during those 40 years, experience after experience after experience, God was teaching them lessons all along the way. They knew where they were headed. They were headed to a new home. They were headed to a new place. Moses knew the way. He could have walked straight there, but because they followed the Lord, do you remember how? By the cloud, by day, and the pillar of fire, by night, they, they took a route that seemingly was illogical. It just didn't make sense. Yet God had a purpose. And he had a plan in carrying them along this route. Now, if you will, take that frame, take that lesson and apply it to our scripture this morning because that is eventually and ultimately the point of the sermon. I preached lots of pointless sermons in my life, but this is not one of them. If you miss it, you miss it. It's your fault. I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 6. And this morning we're going to conclude a series that we've been looking at, Jesus in the Old Testament. We discover that Jesus shows up at the oddest times, places where you see his fingerprint, his shadow. And you discover that the Lord was there. Maybe the first time you read the story of Noah and the ark, You didn't think about how that symbolized Jesus, but yet we showed you, there it is. The ark represents the cross. So many things that God said to Noah in that experience was duplicated and represented in the way that Jesus died for you and me and offered us salvation. This morning, our story is a very familiar one. It's the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. But keep in mind, it's the journey that means the most, not necessarily the destination. But I'm going to start with the end in mind this morning. I'm going to read first the most dramatic part of the scripture. Some of you will say it was all downhill after that, but here it is. I want you to read with me in Joshua chapter 6 beginning at verse 15. Look at what it says. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Skip down to verse 20. So the people shouted. And priests blew the trumpets and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. Literally in Hebrew it means in in its place. So that the people went up into the city every man straight ahead and they took the city. Joshua, you remember was with Moses when the 12 spies were sent into Canaan. And they came back and said, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. God has promised to give us that land. It is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there are giants there. Yes, there are walled cities. But God has promised this to us. And because He's promised it to us, we can do it. But the other 10 spies said what? Y'all are crazy. Look at us. We are a nation of slaves. We are not warriors. We know nothing about warfare. We know nothing about strategy. How in the world are we going to go in and claim the land at this time? And the elders of Israel listened to the report. And what happened? They, they listened to the majority, the ten. And as a result, they did not pursue the conquest at that time. And as a result, they wandered in the wilderness, wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years. I want to remind you this morning that that generation of Israelites are all dead. They will not step foot in the promised land. God raised up another generation, a new group of Israelites, who now would come with Joshua to that precipice to the edge of the promised land and eventually would walk through Jordan and get over. But but Joshua had to prepare them for that moment. He comes now to the battle of Jericho and Jericho represents the number one barrier in their success. Their success at Jericho would determine the rest of their success as they went out in conquest. Now we know they had hiccups along the way, right? The city of Ai being one of those. They failed miserably when they attacked the city of Ai. But Jericho was the first. And Jericho was the first opportunity that God was using to show Joshua and all the people that he was going to take them into the promised land. I love the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. We learned it as children, right? Growing up, we were taught the song. I wish I could sing this morning. I just sort of had to mouth the words, Evan, as you led us in all those wonderful hymns and songs this morning. But, but, but do you remember the song? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Joshua. And the walls came tumbling down, right? We always just sort of did the animations with the walls came tumbling down. I want to ask you a question this morning. What's wrong with that song? Some of you are saying wrong. Wait a minute now. I learned that as a child. I've taught that to my children, to my grandchildren. You're telling me now some Yes, the song is theologically incorrect. Oh my stars. What do you mean? Joshua never fought in the battle of Jericho. He led in the conquest. He led them around the city to march around it. One day, one time for 6 days in a row, but on the 7th day they marched around it a seventh time. They shouted, the priests blew trumpets. Yes. But who fought the battle? God. The Lord did. And that was his plan and his purpose all along was the Lord showing Joshua If you're going to experience victory along the way, it's going to be victory that I give you, not victory that you can accomplish on your own merit, on your own strength. And why is that? Because if we can do it ourselves, God is not needed. But the Lord is showing us that if you're going to experience victories along the way, I am the one who will give you the victory. Now, as I studied through these high water marked Old Testament stories and scriptures, and I just sort of put them on paper and pa- pencil and paper, and I said, now, You know, Lord, which, which ones of these would be most relevant? Which ones of these are the most obvious? I kept coming back to the Battle of Jericho, and I said, The Lord, surely there's a, there's an, a picture here of Jesus in the Old Testament. How is it? Where is it? And I kept focusing on the battle, the battle, the battle. And the Lord kept saying to me, it's not the destination that's important here. It's the journey along the way. Go back and look at what I was teaching Joshua leading up to the battle. So this morning, before we get to the conquest, that's actually the third point of the sermon. I need to show you the consecration that took place. Turn back with me if you would to Joshua chapter 3. Go back here at the beginning of this book and look what happens as the Lord begins to prepare and cultivate Joshua to lead in this effort, in this battle. Look at what it says in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant And cross over ahead of the people, so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now, if you skip down to verse 14 in Joshua 3, read that with me. Look at what it says. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, you'll remember, with the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, and in my Bible there's parentheses here, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. Verse 16. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. A great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, that's the Dead Sea, by the way, the city that is beside Zarethan, uh, excuse me, uh, salt sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And verse 17 says, And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground, until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, you say, "What in the world is going on there?" Well, get the picture here. Joshua knew what responsibility rested on his shoulders. And it was a heavy weight, I think. Joshua had to be reminded of the Lord many times. Joshua, in the same way I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. You remember in chapter 1 how he tells Joshua, every place the sole of your foot will place, that is the land that I'm going to give you. Remember? And he just kept building this strength and this courage and this confidence into Joshua. Joshua needed that. And I firmly believe that had Joshua went ahead and just claimed victory at at, at Jericho and sent the soldiers on to Jericho and tried to, you know, muscle their way into the city. It would have been a total disaster and tragedy. But yet God was pulling him back a little bit and saying, Joshua, there's some things that we need to talk about. There are some things that we need to do. And Joshua brings the people together and the first thing he says is, consecrate yourselves. Now, Let me talk about consecration just for two minutes. Can I do that? We hear that word in the Old Testament a lot. Consecrate, consecrate. We see it in the New Testament. Some. You don't hear it a lot when we come to worship. What does it mean and what's taking place? There are other religions in the world, by the way, who when their priests and worship leaders go into a worship experience much like this, they go through very rigorous routines and even rituals, we would call it, of washing themselves, their body, their, 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 from head to foot. And then the garments that they wear, they can't even touch. Someone else has to put them on those. And, and then the ribbons around them, you remember all the garb and the vestments and so forth? It is an act of consecration. Well, here's the thing. God is trying to say to to Joshua and all of Israel at this point, I want you to prepare your hearts and your minds. That's, That's the thing that's missing a lot of times. When you think about cleansing your body and all the garments being you know, sanitized and so forth that's put on the worship leader, it's not about the outside that's important. It's about the inside. It's about the heart. Prepare yourself for what is about to happen. You see, folks, we want the victory. We want the conquest. We want it now. We're ready for it. We're, we're all, we see that's the destination, but yet God says, hold on. You're not ready for that yet. I need you to just wait. Just a little bit and prepare yourself for that. I can give you a perfect example of this, and I want you to know I just speak from experience. It's just experience. What you know, experience it is for me, it's it it's not a lot, but it's what I have to offer you. For the years that I preached and gone into churches for revivals. <clears throat> Someone would call and say, would you, would you come preach a revival? And I'd say, yes, I, I, I'll do that. And the Lord would take me there and we'd preach Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And so many times through those days, there would be conversation with a pastor or staff or with the church members. And I would hear conversation and sometimes I would hear them talk about the things that they had done leading up to those revival services. For weeks, they'd spent time in prayer, Bible study in some cases, actual fasting. Whether it was fasting for a day or multiple days, they would give themselves to the Lord saying, Lord, we want to make sure that our minds are clear, that our hands are clean, that when we come to you, we're bringing you our very best that we have to offer. And you know what they were telling me? They were telling me that they were doing their absolute best to have a short account with God and say, God, if there is sin in my life, is there, if there's any hindrance here, I want you to purge it, I want you to clean it, I'm asking you to forgive it and Lord when I stand before you let me stand with an open mind and heart and hear precisely what it is you want to say and let me tell you something ladies and gentlemen in those churches we felt and experienced the presence of the Almighty because they prepared themselves they didn't expect me to bring revival I couldn't I didn't there's no package I could bring and just unpack it before them and say here it is just be revived you don't bring a, a worship leader in and expect them through the songs to revive everybody. It, it's leading up to that moment. But when you get in the moment, you discover that the preparation pays off huge because you've discovered all along the way that God was teaching you and He was putting you in the right mindset in the right, right, right mood and the right spirit to prepare you for that moment. And that's exactly what He's doing with the Israelites That's exactly what he's doing with Joshua. And he's saying, consecrate yourself, prepare yourself for this moment. Well, what did they do when they prepared themselves? God said, get the priests, the preachers. Now I'm just going to tell you something. When I think about going to war, it's not the chaplain that I want on the front line most of the time, right? Right? I want somebody who knows how to use a weapon. I want somebody that knows how to communicate. I want somebody who knows all the strategy and the plans that are in place and oftentimes the preachers are the last ones to know it. I sort of thought that was humorous. I thought I'd at least get a chuckle out of somebody when I said that. That's what Joshua did. He put the priest out front. But what were they doing? They were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I don't even have time to go into great detail about what the Ark of the Covenant was or what it represented, but you'll remember it was that wooden container that God had instructed Moses to build. On the top, there were gold angels' wings that it all represented the presence of God. The presence of God. Now, that's important. Because what he's doing is he's saying the presence of the the Lord goes before you. And as the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, where does he tell them to walk? Right out into the Jordan River. I wonder how many of you have ever been to Israel, to the Holy Land. You don't have to raise your hand. I've been there. I've told you that a long time ago. I've seen the Jordan. I've seen pictures of the Jordan. You know as well as I do, this isn't about a two-foot creek you can just jump over, right? It's a river. And if you read the scripture very carefully with me there in that verse that had the parentheses in it, what Joshua is telling us there that this was the time of the year when the river overflowed its banks. I'm talking about the river was deep and it was wide. Now let me be me for just a moment. Remember I have that twisted sense of humor. My humanity gets me in trouble more than I admit I'm one of those priests. And Joshua comes to me and says, Bill, I want you to carry the ark. You carry it with the poles through the the rings there on the side of the ark of the covenant. You're lifting it up and you're walking. It's heavy, by the way. It's got some weight to it. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking to myself, when you introduce weight to gravity, what happens? (coughs) You begin to sink. I want to talk to Joshua just a little bit. You're sending us to our deaths. Don't you realize that? That's what the Lord has told us to do. And so the priests begin to walk out into the water and notice the detail of the scripture there that it says that when their toes begin to touch the edge of the Jordan River, what happens? Now you get kind of lost in the translation here of what actually happens, but he is describing for us a parting of the water that was exactly like the parting of the Red Sea when Moses led them out of Egypt. The Jordan River waters just piled up in a heap and the entire nation walked through the Jordan River on dry ground. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that those grandparents and those great-grandparents and the elders and whomever they were handed down those stories to their children and their grandchildren who were now living and experienced that their elder well, predecessors had lived through and they told them miraculously what it was like walking through the Red Sea and hearing the wind and seeing the waves and seeing the water all just there to their sides but then walking through on dry ground and now these children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren if you will as they are walking through begins to live for themselves exactly what was described by their family members and as they walk by, where are they walking by? They're walking by the Ark of the Covenant. They're seeing the priest standing there in the middle of the Jordan, and they're walking by the presence of God as they begin to walk toward, ultimately, to their destination. What's their destination? Jericho? The walled city, the land that was filled with giants. But yes, what what is happening here? God is saying to them, I want you to know I'm going before you. It's me. It's me. Take your eyes off the walled city. Take your eyes off the giant. Put your eyes on me. Know that it is my presence that is important with you as you walk into this land that I have promised to give you. Folks, this is our greatest need. It is a burden that's on my mind and on my heart. And I'm here to tell you that there have been many times in my own life where I have rushed ahead of God and said, God, I know this is what you want. I'm going to do it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to take it for my own. And it miserably fails because God says, you didn't, you didn't stop to prepare yourself adequately. I wonder what would happen in the average Baptist church If before we played a single note on an instrument or sang a note, we just took time to prepare ourselves for worship. I'm going to tell you what. There have been lots of times that I've been to church and walked away thinking, you know, not much happened there. But in reflection, I realized that it wasn't the Lord's fault. It was mine. I don't know that I expected anything to happen there. Don't know that I prepared myself for anything spiritual to take place or even supernatural to occur. But I want to tell you something. Those times that are marked in my mind as a memory are those times that I really put forth the effort to say, oh Lord, this is important to me. I know it's important to you. God, deal with me before I even get there and let it be a meaningful experience for every person involved. You want revival in your own life? You want a renewed spirit? You do what Joshua said for the nation to do before they experience the victory and this, this wonderful just scintillating experience of, of the walls come tumbling down in front of them and them not have to fight a single enemy there. Hand-to-hand combat? You talk about an v- amazing thing. That w- yes. But it was all because they prepared themselves and saw the powers of God all along the way. Now the next thing that I would talk to you about is what happens here after they get into, into Canaan on the other side of the Jordan. You remember what he said? He said, now go back. I want 12 of you to go and get 12 stones and bring those stones back. We're going to set them up here. And they said, well, why are we doing this? He said, I'm glad you asked that question. He said, because there's going to be a day that you, you bring your children by here, your grandchildren, and they're going to ask you, Papa, what do these stones represent? And I want you to tell them that these stones are markers of this is where we cross the Jordan. This is where God demonstrated his power, reminding us that he was the one who is going to deliver us Not just from Egypt, but from our enemies in Canaan. That's what Joshua told them to do. Before there's ever conquest, there's a consecration. But after you prepare yourself through consecration, there is a commitment that must take place. Now I want you to look with me at chapter 5 in Joshua Look at verse 13. Look what happens. Joshua's beginning to put his plans together. He's he's preparing the people to go fight. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 13. That came about when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said no. (laughs) Now I just want to tell you something. That's not a grammatically correct answer, but that's exactly what he said. Neither. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Some of you are wondering how you put Jesus in the story of Jericho. There it is. I believe this was Jesus himself prior to being born at Bethlehem that he appears to Joshua. Theologians refer to it as a theophany, an appearance of God. The messenger came, appeared to Abram and Sarah and told them that they would have a male child and their descendants would be So many remember. Remember how God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and he told Moses take off your sandals for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. I believe this was Jesus himself. And notice that as Joshua sees him, he immediately thinks, well, well, here's a military man, maybe I can get some cues from him, but I need to know first who he's going to fight for, them or us. Now his response is important, and his response is the key to the whole picture here of what happens, And, and I'll pull it all together in two seconds, just hang with me. Listen, he says, I need to know, are you fighting for the Jericho people or are you fighting for God's people, Israelites? He says neither, but what he's saying is, I've come to take over. I'm going to control them and I'm going to control you. And it's at this point, by the way, that Joshua begins to hear the commands of what he is supposed to do. He's supposed to put the priest out front carrying the Ark of the Covenant and then they're supposed to walk around the city one time for six days and on the seventh day seven times and at the end of that seventh time they're to shout, they're to blow trumpets and the walls will fall flat. Joshua was told that Before it ever happened, as a matter of fact, he said to him, I have given Jericho into your hands. That verb tense, by the way, is past perfect. It's already done. The Lord was looking into the future, and he was saying to Joshua, Joshua, I know exactly how it's all going to play out, but we needed to have this conversation first. I needed to build faith, not just in the Israelites, but into you, knowing, reminder that I'm the one that's going before you. And that's why he put the priest in the Jordan River, and they walked through on dry ground. You see, so many times we want to do something. We have a a goal out there, a destination, and we say, Lord, that's what I want. I, I know that's what you want for us, and we want to claim it. Do you want to do it? Or do you want the Lord to do it? Because when the Lord does it, it's perfect in every way. When you and I try to do it, it's, it's imperfect. We fall way short. Now let me just stop for a minute and ask you a question. Where is your Jericho? What is it that stands in the way of you accomplishing what you want to accomplish? It can be anything from graduation, a degree... Education. It it could be a relationship that has occurred in the past that you're having trouble getting over. It could be a relationship that you're in right now that is straining you and pulling you down. It could be a financial dream of goal that you have. Whatever it is, it may even be a physical thing, a health-related issue, and that is your Jericho. That just stands in the way of you living the life that you think God wants you to live, to ultimately have that victory and that joy and excitement and enthusiasm. Listen, it may be that God's just saying, I need you to slow down. And before you know the conquest of that goal. I need you to prepare yourself. And I need you to just have a short account with me and then i need you to commit yourself to me believing that whatever i tell you to do you're going to do because i'm going to tell you something folks as crazy it was for joshua to say the priest i need you to carry the ark of the covenant out into the jordan river even though they didn't know that the water was going to part they did it out of obedience believing that's what god wanted them to do i guarantee you there were probably some naysayers who came to joshua and said joshua you haven't talked to us about a sword a spear a shield nothing to defend ourselves. All you've talked to us about is walking around the city, blowing trumpets and shouting. How are we to think that God is going to get any glory out of that? How do we think that we're going to achieve any success or have any victory? And Joshua's response, I'm sure, was just wait and see. Because when they did exactly what God told them to do, Victory was theirs, just as God had promised. Church, it may be. You're thinking, well, our goal as a congregation is to get a preacher, get a pastor. And that is a noble goal. It is a goal that you have, whether you want it or not. But I want to ask you a question at this morning. Do you want to choose the next man? Or do you want the Lord to do it? If you want the Lord to do it, Consecrate yourself, prepare yourself, keep listening. And commit yourself to doing whatever He asks you to do. Watch Him provide. Stand with me this morning, will you? Father, I pray that you would take this message and use it, apply it to any and every life here. Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. For the symbol of strength that He represents in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding of how to trust Him and walk with Him daily. Even, Lord, when you take us down a path and in a direction that we don't understand, We are confident because we are confident in you. Lord, it is my prayer that if there is a single person here today, young or old, who has yet to publicly acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior, that by your Spirit you would convince them of the need to do that. Maybe it's Christians or a Christian family who's looking for a church home because your Spirit would lead them, let them come to unite with this church family. Father, we give this invitation to You. Through Jesus we pray.